It's nice to be here this morning and sharing with you the Word of God. It's always a privilege. You can just share God's Word. And one of the favorite things that they used to do in ministry is to just to help, you know, us to be encouraged and just to be inspired again for the sake of God's kingdom work and, you know, which is all, you know, every one of us responsibility in life. Uh, just a quick uh, update on Hands on Africa and how God is working, you know, uh, as a congregation, you've been partnering with us for the last three years, four years now, you know, and specifically through the Life Abundantly program, uh, you know, uh, Crosswinds have really been involved tremendously, and, um, and we're busy with the second village that, you know, specifically has been sponsored by uh, the, the church, and it's going well. Uh, we had to switch it around with the second uh, group, and we started with the animals instead of the farming. Because we started with them in the beginning of this year, uh, sort, of, sort of towards the end of the planting season. And so uh, we've started with the animals this time, and, and the animals are doing well, and they have the water filters, the Bibles. Uh, you know, first they have preached in the church, you know, during this time. Um, and uh, this, this last couple of weeks, we had someone there that would step in and specifically train them how to do farming God's way. It's a program that, that's used in Africa to help people to can use a very small space to generate sufficient vegetables for their family throughout the year in a very small space. And so, uh, so we've trained the, these 10 families in how to do that. Um, and, uh, and as well as another group of people, you know, to can do that just to help the, and extend, you know, the love of God and, you know, giving them the, the opportunity to can do that. And so they, are, they have already prepared most of the lands, the, the 10 acres of lands that they will be planting. And the rains will come soon. Normally uh, during November is when the rain season starts. And that's when they start planting. And so, so we are now buying all the seeds and have all that ready for them, just waiting for the rain. And so uh, then they will be planting. So it's going well. And we praise God for this program that we can use. You know, with this, it gives us an ongoing opportunity monthly to have our overseers in the village and to be there with them and, and share with them God's word and minister to them. And so these people are growing. Most of them are widows, uh, you know, still young enough and, and, and have a lot of kids and, and also help some of the orphans in their area to benefit from the program. And so thank you very much for partnering with us in this important ministry. Um, we also have started working this year in Burundi. Um, and, you know, you might have had saw some update. I think we did play a video at one stage about it. It's going very well. God really have blessed us on this last couple of weeks trip when we went to, um, to just try and, and make the, the needs known. And, and so um, a, a family in North Carolina who sadly have just lost their, their uh, grandchild at birth, uh, only lived for four hours and then he passed to be with the Lord. Uh, but there's a family who's now building for us a clinic in Burundi in honor of their grandson. And, and his name was Christian. And so the, the clinic is going to be called the Christian Health Center. And I mean, isn't that amazing that Christ, as the family, as they say, this is, they, they're thinking of their little grandson who didn't live long, but the name of Christ is going to be proclaimed for as long as this clinic will be there. And so we're very excited about this. Uh, Burundi is a very, very poor country. Uh, in fact, the poorest country in the world from an income perspective per capita. And so uh, we're just glad we can work with them. We also, just through the Baptist Union and with in, in partnership with the Baptist Union of Burundi, just bought 10 acres of land uh, where we're going to help the, the Pygmy people to plant food for themselves. Uh, they're still slaves to their own people. They work for the local people who are poor people, 
but they work for them just for food. They don't get no income. And so they own nothing. They have nothing. Uh, but we're going to trust God to help us to impact that community and change their destiny. And so the first thing is to have, give them land to plant on their own land, uh, you know, where it's their crops and it's their benefits, and they can benefit from it. And so we're looking forward to see how it is. In, um, in January, I'll be preaching the first open-air rally in, in that village area. These people has no churches in the area. There is no church currently. They still worship nature. Nature is their God. And so, um, and so we're going to be able to bring the gospel to them and reach out to them also from that perspective. So pray for all this. It's going to be an uh, exciting ride that's ahead of us. And it's just just want to let you guys know that God is at work. Wonderful things are wor- is happening. There's so much I could share. I could spend half an hour just sharing with you what currently is going on and how God is working. And you are part of that. If it's not for you, we cannot do this. If it's not for people that God raised up to take hands with us and work together with us, we cannot fulfill this task. And so we're just so excited that we know that God has gave us a team, a partnering team here and, and across other places across the world who shares in this important work that God is doing to continue to build His kingdom here on earth, to see many souls come to Christ and bring salvation to many. And this morning, it's about the partners Christ commissioned us to be. Um, this is what I'm going to share with you this morning from God's Word. Uh, this is what the kingdom is about, is us becoming the partners of Christ Jesus. But, you know, Christ came and He introduced salvation to us in a way that cost Him His life. He had to die on the cross in, to enable us to can become His partners. If it wasn't for the cross, and it wasn't for him willing to suffer to the utmost extent to create an opportunity for us to could become his children, reconciled to the Father through his death and his resurrection, you know, we would have never been able to be used by God in such, in such a wonderful way. But God intended salvation for now to be a partnership with him as we continue this journey on life. We are no longer part of this world we have died we who have in christ been raised to new life we who have been born in christ in new life we've died we no longer live that day that we were born in christ in new life we died we were done with the world but then christ raises up and he kept us here for a while and it's for a season of eternity that we still have to be here to be partners with him because that's what he has commissioned us to be. That is his plan for us to still be here on earth. So we we here for that reason. We are not here for any other reason. Our, our purpose for the time that we will be here as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ on earth, is for the sake of partnering with him in his work. Just like you partnering with hands on Africa, as we partnering with God in his work in Africa, so God has made us all partners together for his kingdom work here on earth. And, and, and in Philippians, we read about this partnership in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 1. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. This is something amazing. That Paul is in prison. He is suffering the consequences of being a partner for Christ in, in missions. In, in sharing the gospel, in, in doing the work that God has commissioned him to do 
while he is still here on earth. And while he's in prison, and sort of didn't really know if he's going to survive this time. This is not the first time that he's in prison. This is at least the third time that Paul is in prison when he writes to the Philippians congregation and share with them. And he, he's in Rome. And now, you know, when, when you look at, at commentaries and all these people will argue different aspects of, you know, at what time of, of his life is this and in what prison was he. But clearly, you know, when we go to Acts, we can clearly see that he was in Rome. And, and being in Rome, it was because he asked to be before Caesar. Now, Caesar had the authority and the power to can put him to death. And so Paul knew that. Paul knew that he, he could be executed, you know, by appearing before uh, Caesar. And so Paul knew that he might never come out of prison, although he had faith and he had you know, the hoping God that he might be set free and he might get out and he might see the Philippian, the Philippian church again, but he wasn't sure about it. He, he, he knew this could also be something that would never happen again. But while he is there and while he is facing death, he is still rejoicing every time when he prays about the Philippian church. Why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. His joy is based on the fact that he knew that while he's in prison, he has partners in Philippi that can continue to share the gospel, that can continue to do the work that God has commissioned each one of us to do. And he says, from the first day until now. And so this gospel message that they were commissioned to share that he's rejoicing while he's in prison for is based on the fact that he knew from the day that they were born in Christ in new life, that day when they became the partners of Jesus, from that very day, they were partners of the gospel. They had the responsibility from that day to be involved in the gospel sharing of Jesus Christ. And this will continue until now while he's in prison. But then he says, but I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, this is a task that's never going to stop. This is something that's never going to end. It begins at salvation and it will end at the return of Jesus Christ. For this period of time, for this journey, this mission that each one of us are on while we are on earth as true believers, born again believers of Jesus Christ, is a journey with Christ. It's a mission with Jesus. We are His partners. He is working and He has invited us to come alongside Him and work with Him in what He has already been doing since the beginning. And we are privileged that God will enable us to can do this. And this is why Paul can rejoice while he's in prison. Because they might think they've quieted him. They might think they have put him out of work. They might have think they have stopped him to continue his mission. But they haven't. Because Paul has multiplied himself into many others. And in prison he can sit and say, I can rejoice because I know there is a church. I know there is congregations out there that are continuing to share the gospel from the day of their salvation till now while I'm in prison. But even beyond this, 
I have confidence that they will continue to do this till the day of Christ. And so Paul is rejoicing because of this knowledge, of this awareness that it's not about Paul. Paul is just only one of those partners for Christ. And if, if he's not able to, then he has encouraged enough people. He has entrusted this responsibility into the hands of enough. He has discipled enough others so that they knew the work cannot be stopped, even although for the moment he is in chains. And they really put him in chains. They chained him down because, remember, there was before... They were set free from prison in a, in a miraculous way by God's power. And so that story must have spread. I mean, that, that's not something that happened every day, you know, in life. When, when something like that happened, you know, all the news is going to be on top of that story. Because, man, just by God's intervention in a miraculous way, they were set free from prison. And that stories have spread. Everybody knew about it, especially including Caesar and, and these gods. And so they didn't only put them in the middle of the prison, in the most secure part of the prison, but in that most secure area, they've actually chained them down. That's how serious that it was to try and stop this man from doing what he was doing in partnering with Jesus Christ. But Paul sits in that circumstances and says, man, if I'm here, if I'm not here, I can rejoice, I can be glad, I can be excited because of this confidence that there is others that partner with me from this day up to the day of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7, he says, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of the power which is the Holy Spirit of God that comes in him. And so Paul knew that because we have the Holy Spirit of God in us, because he enabled us, we can be the partner of Christ in all the circumstances. Doesn't matter what it is. He, we continue to read here, it says in verse 7, uh, we can just go back to verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul here says to them, it is the grace of God that we have this ability to can share the gospel. It's not something that we could do out of our own. None of us could generate such a wonderful idea or such a great plan and pay such a price to can enable that through the spreading of the good news, of telling somebody about the cross, which is foolish unto a world who doesn't understand, who doesn't make sense to the wise people of this world, because it doesn't seem to be something that should be effective. Yet it's the very power through which God brings salvation unto everyone who will believe. And Paul say, this is the grace of God. This is a gift of God unto believers that he gave us the promised one, that he gave us the Holy Spirit that was poured out upon our lives so that we could be empowered to be his witnesses. Acts 1 verse 8 say, when you will receive power, you will be my witnesses. It's not then you can decide if this is your calling or then you would be 
able to find out if this is what your purpose is in life, know the day when you receive the Holy Spirit, which is at the day of new birth, that day when you become a believer, that day when Christ transforms you to a new man, to a new woman, filled now by the Holy Spirit, well, that moment you and I were empowered. Empowered for the purpose of witnessing for Christ. And you know why he say witnessing? It's because we are sharing with the world not just a message, a theory, an idea. We witness to them what we have experienced. What is reality now in our lives? We have been transformed. The power of that message have come into our lives and have changed us for eternity. And so we become witnesses of the effect of the power of the gospel that is real. That transforms us from death to life. That makes us to be servants, partners of Jesus that can step out boldly and help others to come to know Christ. That's the grace of God. That's a gift unto us. That's something that we should take seriously. Because it comes with a promise of God. That everyone who will believe in Him, everyone that will become His disciple, He will empower them with the Holy Spirit for this purpose. He will use them in such a manner. And Paul therefore say, I doesn't matter if I'm in chains, doesn't matter if I'm defending the gospel, if I'm proclaiming the gospel, it's all because of God's grace. And in every circumstances, God can use me. While Paul is in prison, he's still preaching the gospel. He hasn't stopped, but he cannot be out there. He cannot be free to do that, but he still uses his opportunities. But his excitement is that there is others that can do this. And so filled with the joy because of the focus of the Philippian church, the fact that they have come to know what is most important, the fact that they've come to acknowledge that it is about Christ, it is about the good news of Jesus, it is about the gospel that he now can be rejoicing because their mindset is right. Their focus is right. They know what to zoom in. They know what is most important. They, therefore, he prays for them in this prayer while rejoicing. He now helps us to see what, what is the reason, what is his, his passion, his, his joy for praying with them. He says in verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So the first thing Paul is praying for them. Is that there will be an increase in the passion in their hearts. The same passion. That Jesus had on the cross. When he died for you and me. The same passion that the father had. When he loved the world so much. That he sent his only begotten son. To come to this world. To lay down his life willingly. To take our punishment upon him. For our sins. Become the atoning sacrifice so that it can be forgiveness for our sins. Because he was the only one worthy to could be a sacrifice that could satisfy the wrath of God over sin. Because what you and I deserve is one thing. It's death. We don't deserve anything else. 
in relationship to God, our Creator who made us in His design from which we have walked away because of our sin, we only deserve one thing, and that's death. We never can claim anything else. We never have the right to anything else. We only have one thing we deserve, and that's death. But Jesus came to change that. That's the good news. Jesus came to take the sting of death away, to destroy the impact and the finality of death. He came to bring us life. And it's this passion of God that Paul is praying for the Philippians. These people that he already recognizes his partners. He's already excited because he knew they know what is important. And yet his prayer is continuing, Lord, please give them even a deeper insight of this knowledge of your love. The love that now lives in them and who lives now in us. Because remember, it's God who lives in us now. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me, the Bible tells us. It is God who is love. God doesn't do love. God doesn't. Just make love to happen. God is love in his existence. His characteristics, his nature, his existence is love. And when God lives in you and me, then love lives in us. It's not that we need to seek for love. Love lives in us. All Paul is praying is that we will come to know it. That we'll come to have a deeper insight in it. It means that we will become more zoomed in to what is most important to God. That religion will not be our focus. That doing good works will not be our focus. But that they will only be the results. Because of the passion in our hearts. That we have come to know in a deeper sense of reality. He said in verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He's praying for them for discernment. For discernment that, that they will know what is best. In, in the New King James Version, it says that you may approve the things that are excellent. And the word excellent is just much more stronger than the word best. You know, excellent just seems to be, wow, that's, that's beyond best. You know, you get good, and then you get better, and then you get the best, and then you get excellence. And so excellence is just a far better translation for this word. He's, he wants them to can discern for what is excellent. And I want to say to you today, nothing can be more excellent then giving somebody something that can never end. You see, everything else, you know, we have helped children in the last few weeks and months with health issues. And God provided, and some of them had surgeries, and some of them are going, a girl going next week, uh, on the 2nd of November, she's going to, to for surgery for an eye problem. She's blind in the one eye, but they can actually medically do surgery and help her to see. And we're sending her there on the 2nd of November 
the doctors who's leaving from America to go to be in Sierra Leone, and they're going to search on her. We, we're busy with a little boy that's got a problem. He has too much fluent in his brain. It put pressure on his brain. He, brain, he can't walk. His head is already two, three times the size it's supposed to be. And, uh, and we just did a scan this week with him, and we hope that we can help him to get treatment in these weeks to come that they can do what is nether and put a stun in that can help that fluent to be drained so that he can have life. And so that's all great stuff. It's wonderful stuff. We gave over nearly 700 people eyeglasses in the last two months in Africa, helping them to see. Many of those, we, we, we shared the gospel with them, and some of them have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior while they were waiting just to see an eye doctor to help them to get glasses. That's all wonderful things. That's all good things. And some of them is even the best things. But it's still not excellent. Because if they will die without Jesus, they will still go to hell and they will be blind forever. And they will be sick forever. And so Paul say, it is what is excellent. It, we must be able to discern what are we busy with in life. What is occupying my time? What is occupying my focus? Is my concern every day for the excellence of souls who are dying and on their way to hell who could be rescued in Christ through the gospel to have eternal life? To can have what is excellent. To can have what will never end, what will never stop. And he prayed for them to realize that when Christ come back, that's what he's going to ask them about. He's not going to ask me, Andre, how many missions did you do? How many eyeglasses did you give out? <laughs> how many surgeries was done on children? How many orphanages did you open? No, he's going to ask me, what have you done with what is most excellent? What have you done with the gospel? What have you done with the good news that I've entrusted to you, which I've empowered you for to be my partner? Worth me in bringing this to a lost world. That's the only thing he's going to worry about. And so Paul said, I'm praying for you that you may be pure and blameless for the day of the Lord. That you might be able to stand before him and not be ashamed. That you might be standing before him and not be naked. They reckon in America that only 2% of the believers in America, those who claim to be children of God, only 2% of them have ever in their life shared the gospel with somebody personally. So only 2% of the church is really the partners of Jesus. 98% are just playing religion. Are just doing the good things. Is doing what is good, is doing what is best, but nobody is doing what is excellent. They're just concerned about the temporary stuff. They're so worldly-minded still that they want to do everything from a worldly perspective. That they miss out on doing what is excellent, what will last for eternity, what can change this people's destiny for the long run. Today when we stand before God, the judgment is starting with the church. That's where it's going to begin. It's not for us about, am I going into heaven or am I not going to heaven? It's about what am I going to say to the Lord? What have I offered him 
so that he should reward me for entering into his kingdom. How sad will it be to one day stand before Jesus and have to thank him for your salvation. And yet we had nothing to give him back as a reward for saving our souls. And the reward is going to be counted by the souls that we have reached for Jesus Christ. It's going to be counted by how many times have you witnessed for Jesus. You know, I you can never save people. We don't have the ability to save them. But we have the power. And we are enabled. And we are commissioned, instructed, ordered by the master himself to witness to them. If somebody will not go and tell them, if somebody will not share with them, if they will not hear, how can they decide? How can they choose? How can they turn to Christ? We are the mouthpiece for Jesus Christ. He says in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, righteousness is when I share with you what made me righteous in Christ. That's righteous. It's righteous for me to want for you what I got through the grace of God. Not for anything I've done. Not for anything I've paid. Not for anything I could offer. Not anything I was worthy of. I only deserve one thing, which is death. And so does everyone around me. My children, my family, my parents, my fellow co-workers, my neighbors. All of us. We deserve death. And if I claim unto me the righteousness, which is the fruit of the new life in Christ Jesus, unto myself, then if I keep that from others, and I don't want to share with them that righteousness, then it means there is no fruit of righteousness in my life. Because the only way the righteousness that God has imputed on my life by His grace, by Looking at me through Jesus and through Jesus see me to be acceptable, to be righteous before him in his sight. Not because of anything I have done. I can never be righteous. There is no one, not even one except Christ who could be righteous. And it's only his righteousness that's imputed on us which make us to be righteous before God. And when God looked at us, and He looked at us through Christ, who have saved us, who have transformed us from death to life, then God sees us as being righteous. And here we must share and be filled by the fruit of that righteousness. The fruit of that righteousness is that we will take the peace and the hope and the joy and the love that comes with the righteousness of God, and we will witness it to the rest of the world who still deserves to die who still is going to a real hell where they're going to spend eternity because of our silence. Because of us not being obedient to Christ. Our sin of disobedience keeps them from finding righteousness in Christ Jesus. Finding life in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 17, Paul pray. Also to the Ephesians, something similar. He says, he prays there in, in chapter 1 verse 17, that God will give them eyes of their heart, that the eyes of their heart will be enlightened. 
Not the eyes of their seeing, sightseeing. No, that the eyes of their hearts will be enlightened. It means that they can see Jesus who lives in them. That the eyes of zooming into Christ and make Him the ultimate focus of life and make Him the ultimate goal of why we are sharing and witness to others about Christ is when we start having His passion. When the cross stands before us at every moment of every day. When the cross of Christ becomes our focus. You see, there is no witnessing of Christ if we don't share about the cross. Because the cross is the bridge that can take people from what they deserve, which is death, to bring them to Him to have glorious eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's only the cross that can accomplish that. No good works can do that. No effort of ours can do that. No wonderful sermons can do that. No little prayer can do that to anyone. It's only the cross. It's only putting your faith in the cross of Christ Jesus. Accepting that he has paid the price. That he took what you deserve upon him. Which is death. So that you and I can be set free from it. And we can receive in him through his grace. Something we don't deserve. Yet out of his love he bestowed upon us grace. Not only to can now find life. But you can find the power, the ability to can share it with others. To can help others to also come to know what Christ has done for us. Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20. This is, this is a well-known verse in the Bible. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when Christ speaks at this moment to his disciples, which is you and me, we are the followers of Jesus. He speaks in the authority of his victory, of his exaltation as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no authority beyond this authority. It doesn't exist. This is the highest authority. In that authority, he says, therefore, because of my authority, for no other reason. So there's no argument here. There's no choice to make here. There's no, well, let's sit down and see if I've got the gifts. Let's sit down and see if, I, if that's really my calling. Let's really see if this is also befitting me. Maybe he's just speaking to the 12 disciples, of which now there were only 11. Because one just betrayed him. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Which means to can baptize somebody in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They had to become partners of Jesus Christ. To can become disciples of Jesus Christ. So they, they're not just going to become that because uh, we are just doing good things to them. They're not going to become those who can be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit just because we are doing for them wonderful things, even what seems for us to be the best to offer them, like surgery, like food, like clothes, like whatever it is that their needs might be. Now, this is about salvation. 
To make them disciples, they have to become born again in Christ Jesus. That's what baptism reflects. That's what it symbolizes, is that you've died in Christ and you've rose up with Him into new life. And then, teach them to obey everything I told you. That I've commanded you. To obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, here's the promise. Here's the promise of the one who speaks out of his authority. Jesus on his throne speaking to us. His followers. His servants. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we can also say, well if you don't do this, then I'm not going to be with you till the end of the very age. Because you see, Jesus is not going to come where you are. You have to come where he is working to join him in his work. He's not going to stop working because of you and me. You think lockdown have locked us down? Yes, it has. It really corrupted the world forever. It will never be the same again. But God was not shaken. And God was not locked down. And God was not stopped. And Jesus didn't continue his work. And I can testify to that because during all of that, I saw people coming to know Christ as their Lord and Savior while everybody was locked down. We've planted churches under lockdown. We've opened new Bible schools under lockdown. We've started new ministries in Hanson, Africa under lockdown. I was bound in America. I couldn't even get a flight to leave the country. But the work in Africa grew. Because there was enough people who with Paul I could have rejoiced about and say, man, God gave me those men. I entrusted them with the gospel and I could encourage them and I could support them. And they went and they planted churches. They went into broken villages and found people in need and bring them to the saving knowledge of Christ and started churches. In lockdown, while the government say no churches, you know, they could not stop them to gather in somebody's home. <laughs> As much as they tried. And there was churches planted. Then I will be with you till the very ends of the age. When you are busy fulfilling what I've instructed you to do. In the next few verses of this chapter. Paul just goes on about the fact you know, that the gospel is still advancing. In, in, although he's in prison. The gospel is still advancing. It's still going well. And despite of the efforts of, of some people to even confuse the gospel. To compromise the gospel. To, to bring harm you know, to Paul by saying, Paul is not telling the truth. Here's the real gospel. And they switch it up so that it can suit men and the ear of people. So it can tickle their ears and they can believe that. And so Paul went on about this and said, you know, at least till the gospel get preached. But then he says, you know, for me to die, for me to die, uh, to live. I mean, for me to live is to remain fruitful, fruitful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For me to live is to be Christ. But to die is gain. So Paul recognized, yes, for me and you as a believer, here on earth, this is not the best for us. This is not the excellence for us. This is not what God has promised us and has made for us possible through Christ Jesus. What he made possible for us is to can be in heaven with him for eternity. There where there's peace everlasting, where there's joy abundant, where there's everlasting life. No tears, no pain, no sorrow, no brokenness, no no sadness, no death. That's his plan for us. But yet we still hear and Paul say, and so it's better for me to be with Christ, but for your sake, it's better for me to remain. 
so that I can even bring more of you to that knowledge of the salvation, salvation power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so while we are longing to heaven, while God keeps us here, there should be a deeper longing. There should be a more excited longing, a more sincere focusing in, zooming in, seeing with the eyes of our heart what God wants for us to do in partnering with him for which he has commissioned us to be for him here on earth. And then I'm going to jump to verse 27 of the same chapter. And here in this, in this last few verses that we're going to look at this morning, Paul now talks about the life that's worthy of this gospel. What should then be the lifestyle? What is it that he sees in the lives of the Philippians that excites him so much, which makes their lives to be worthy the life of the gospel? Because you see, it's, 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 you have to live the gospel to can preach the gospel. You, you cannot just preach it to people and then walk away and, and be like the world. Well, then, then it will be foolish. Then it will not make sense. Then, so, so, so I cannot share some, to someone the gospel and then tomorrow I live the, the joys of the world and I associate myself with the world and I say, well, okay, this guy's not really changed. He's still like the world. There has to be an evidence in my life that my life has been changed. There must be a life that is worthy living the preaching of the gospel. And so, verse 27, whatever happens. I want you to just think for that for a minute. Maybe a few seconds. Whatever happens. What is whatever well, our brother Barry just had a stroke a few weeks ago. And he's now in a rehab center where they're going to try and put him together and help him to survive physically and be able maybe to walk again. Or maybe not. For Barry, whatever is that hospital bed. That's the whatever for Barry. In that hospital bed, Barry is the partner of Jesus Christ. In that hospital bed, Barry could be the only gospel about Christ that people in that hospital might ever hear. Hallelujah. You see, there's, there's a confirmation. That's a man that lives the life worthy of the gospel. And so we can rejoice with Barry who can rejoice while he's bedridden. Yet, the gospel cannot be chained down. Whatever means, whatever happens in your life, that means at all times, at every second, at every minute, our life should be zoomed in. It should be ready to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see, if, 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 if I'm going to tonight get drunk, then tomorrow to try and share the gospel is not going to be very effective to the people who just saw me being drunk last night. That's not going to work. That's not a life worthy of the gospel. That's a life worthy of drunkards. I cannot go and go to a prostitute tonight and then tomorrow I want to go and preach to the prostitutes about how to come to Jesus Christ. It doesn't work that way. That's not a life worthy of the gospel. I cannot today question the gospel 
in front of people because I'm too afraid to share with them the gospel. And when they come with their compromises, I just give in to it. And then tomorrow I want to try and get them to come to Jesus Christ. It must be a life worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And so here Paul shows us three things that makes this life worthy of living for the sake of the gospel. And the first one is the unyielding stand of this people for the gospel. The unyielding stand. It means no compromise. Not compromised by words, not compromised by life. What I share, I have to love. What I love is what I have to share. It has to be firm on the truth of Christ Jesus. It's standing firm on the foundation of the cross. It's standing firm on the new life of Christ who now lives in you. It's standing firm on the commands of Jesus. It's standing firm on the truth of Scripture. And Paul saw that in their lives. That's why he could be joyful. That's why he could be excited. Because they have a foundation. And yielding, nothing could disturb them. Nothing could move them away. Nothing could persuade them to forsake Christ, to deny Christ. Have you ever thought, you know, we, we listen to Peter and we say, wow, you know, Peter denied Jesus. And we look at Judas and we say, wow, Judas, you know, betrayed Jesus. How many times do we deny him? How many times do we deny him because we're not standing on a firm foundation and we compromise? We're not willing to share the truth about the gospel, about God's design, regardless if that will offend others. I want to say to you today, if I have to offend you through the gospel, I'm going to gladly offend you. I'm going to gladly offend you because I don't really love you if I think offending you is more important than saving your soul, I think that's more offensive. I think that's eternally offensive. And I'm not going to be afraid to offend you with the gospel. Oh, for the sake of the world, of course I don't want to do that because I want to win your trust. I want to win your love and I'm going to embrace you with the love of Christ. I'm not going to agree with what's wrong. I'm not going to compromise. But for the sake of the gospel... I will gladly offend you if that will help you to come to know the truth. These people were standing from. Secondly, they were undivided for the gospel. They were united. So if they saw me and they saw you and they saw you and they saw you, they will hear the same gospel. They will hear the same message. They will hear the same faith. They will hear the same hope. They will hear, see the same joy. They will discover the same pieces among us. They will see that we are a people that have become one in one body in Christ Jesus who stands together on the same principles and the same truths and are fulfilling the same commission in obedience to Jesus Christ. 
These people were undivided for the gospel. They were striving in unity and in one faith. See, there's only one faith. There's only one gospel. There's only one God, one Savior, one Jesus, one Holy Spirit, one baptism, one truth. These people were undivided. They were standing together on the same gospel. And then they were unafraid. They were unafraid. I want to read it again. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. We're going to get opposition. That's a reality. Why? Because the world is broken. The world is in a mess. The world is hurting. The world is knowing they are wrong. Because every man on the face of this earth has been created in the image of God. And in every man on this earth, there is something about God inside him, saved or unsaved, from creation. And so you know about wrong and right if you save or not saved. Those unbelieving world out there that seems to don't care and seems like they don't believe in God and they don't really think of God of any value. I promise you, when they're alone at night in their beds, they know how miserable their lives is. They know how wrong they are. They know how confused they are. They know how blinded they are. But they are fighting it by going even deeper into brokenness. They're trying to fix it, fix it under their terms. And their terms will just destroy them and not save them. But they are aware. They are aware. They're just hiding from it. They're running from it. They're denying it. But every man on the face of this earth was born in God's image and was in perfect harmony with God till sin come into their lives. And so they knew they are in rebellion of life. They know life can be better. And they're seeking at all the wrong places. And the more they seek, the more they destroy themselves. The worse it becomes. So it's not a question that they don't know. They know. There's fear and desperation behind the, the facade that they put before us, the show that they want to put up before us. There, when you can find them alone, they are broken. They are hurting. They need the partners of Jesus to come to them and share with them the most wonderful news that they can ever hear. The most excellent that we can offer them in life. Don't be fooled by what they portray. Don't be fooled by their bravery. Don't be fooled by their strong stand. Behind that, there is a reality because God is alive. And God created them out of his love and out of his care. And they rebelled against him. And God sent Christ to bring them back. And all they need is the partners of Jesus to come to them, to stand firm, unyielding, to be undivided, together, in unity, focusing on the truth of Christ, the gospel, unafraid to share it in whatever happens in life, in whatever we will face. But Paul ends here by saying there is a cost. There is a cost to this. 
to be pure and blamely, blameless one day before God. To can bear the fruit of righteousness. To live the life worthy of the gospel, there is a price. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Acts 5, verse 40 to 42. They called the apostles in and had them flocked. That's after they preached the gospel. The same Sanhedrin who have just crucified Christ, not personally, but they were the reason he got crucified. They were the ones who gave them to the Romans and claimed and forced by their rebellion that the Romans was willing to just hand him over and let him be crucified. Well, then they preached the gospel after they received the Holy Spirit. And then the same Sanhedrin now have Peter and the apostles there, and they say to them, and uh, they call the apostles in, and after they spoke to them, uh, flocked them, and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Listen to this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. It doesn't stop there. Because they were unhealing, because they were undivided, because they were unafraid. Verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They've just been flocked <laughs> by the people who just crucified Jesus Christ. Walk out of there rejoicing for the suffering they could bear. And day by day, they went to teach people about Jesus, to proclaim the gospel. Jesus himself in Matthew 5, verse 11 to 12 say, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of Jesus. Not because of you. If the insult is about you, if the persecution is about you, it is worthless. It is what you deserve. You brought it over yourself. And there's no blessing for that. But if it is for the sake of him, then he says, in the next verse, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the way they persecute the prophets who were before you. And then in 1 Timothy 3 verse 12, Paul told us how much he already suffered. Just before this, he tells us how, how much he has suffered even to the point of near death many times for the sake of gospel. And then in verse 12, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. There's a price to pay. There's a cross that I and you have to pick up every day if we want to be his disciples. Luke chapter 14. If you want to be my disciple, you have to forsake your father and your mother, your brother and sister, your children, yes, even your own life to be my disciple. You have to pick up every day your cross and follow me if you want to be my disciple. You see, the cross 
doesn't bear any good forth other than the salvation that comes through the cross. But the cross itself bears punishment, bears tremendous suffering, bears death. And so for us to can be partners with Christ Jesus, we must be willing to be insulted. We must be willing to be persecuted. Praise God, we don't need to die for their sake. But for the sake of being able to preach the gospel to others, we have to be willing to suffer. We will suffer. Just like we will receive the Holy Spirit and we will be His witnesses, we will also suffer as we will be obedient to Him in proclaiming the good news to a lost world. But you know what is the result of this? In every case, they have rejoiced and was glad that they could at least participate and share in some way with the suffering that Jesus was willing to suffer for us. And it motivated them and it encouraged them to even do more. To even preach the gospel more clear with a greater intent, with a more sincerity, in a more powerful way. We are commissioned, we are instructed, and we are empowered. We don't have a choice. We have been made the partners of Christ for the sake of the gospel. That's what we have become. We are now the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are his representatives here on earth. He has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. He has entrusted to us the thing that is most important to God. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord find us worthy. Living a life worthy of the gospel. Where we will not compromise. Where we will not shine away from our reality and our responsibility, that we will come to realize that we're going to stand before him one day and give account of what we've done with this. It's like we're going to have to report back. We're not going to skip it. We're not going to get away from it. It's coming. It's coming for some of us sooner than for the others. It's never too late. It's never too late. It's that same gospel that can change your life today and transform you from what you deserve, which is death, to life if you will turn your life to Christ today. In this place, there might be someone who have never surrendered their lives to Christ and therefore have never been empowered and therefore could not be a true witness, unyielding, undivided, and unafraid, sharing the gospel of Christ to a world in need. And maybe some of you this morning I've realized and I've been challenged this morning that, wow, I'm supposed to be the light of the world, but I've hidden it under a bucket. My light is not shining. I've not become obedient. Maybe some of you are just young in the faith, and for the first time this morning you actually realize what you have become in Christ Jesus, a partner, a partner for him. That is what the church is to be the partners of Christ. 
This is what he has made us to be. And maybe this morning you realize, wow, I was still afraid. Or, you know, I still was trying to work out this gospel and, and why others should hear it. Or maybe you just didn't understand it and didn't understand your, res your responsibility, the importance, the excellence of this. Then this morning you can come to the Lord. This is the amazing grace of God. That we can come to him and say, Lord, wow, I need your spirit to fill me. I need that empowerment. I've subdued it. I've denied it. I've maybe even I've betrayed the power of the Holy Spirit that you have promised me that will come upon my life and enforced me to be your witness. And Lord, this morning I know I put the light out. I dim the light. I block the light. I cover the light. Whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter. But I have not been the light of the world that you have asked me to be for you, your partner on a journey, on a mission with you from the day I was saved till the day that you will come to fetch me to be with you forever and ever. Today, God wants to make us his partner. If you fail to be his partner, all you have to do is say, Lord, I'm opening myself up to be empowered by your spirit. And he will make your feet loose and he will open your mouth in a way that you would have never believed you were capable or able to do. But if you have never met him, then why don't you use this morning the opportunity to surrender your life and receive what is most excellent in life. The gift of eternal life that can only come through the cross of Jesus Christ who paid for your sin, who was buried and rose on the th third day, overcoming death, destroyed death, took away this thing of and the power of it so that you and I can have life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the simplicity of your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that we have you empowered us who can even understand your word. This day, I pray for the congregation, for those who are here present, for those who are online. Lord, that they will not just leave this place and just continue in the same way that they've been continuing, but that they will turn to obedience this morning. Every one of us who have failed, every one of us who have become silent for the sake of the gospel, every one of us who have denied you and have betrayed you in a sense in this regard, who have not been faithful partners, help us this morning to find that courage, to stand up and boldly just bow before you and say, Lord, fill me, fill me with that power. Fill me with the power that is greater than me that can enable me to be your partner. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you will just convict them of their sins and their need of eternal life. And will you draw them to you this morning and let them receive life eternal and let them become a new partner to you and your mission. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to stand here for, to pray with you. I think it's between you and the Lord. And there's some empty chairs there. And here's a couple here. And here's a very low chair right here. <laughs> An altar. The lower we can go, the better. If you just have to tell the Lord this morning, Lord, guilty as charged. It's not a shame. It's a joy. 
that God enabled us to know that we have failed him so that we can make it right. That's the, that's the good thing. God is not a God who waits to punish us here. He's waiting here to, to restore us, to heal us, to, to make us whole, to, to refresh us. Just come and do it, but take that bold step because you have to take the step. If you cannot take the step here, how are you going to take it in the world? If you're afraid that we're going to look at you and say, oh, oh, that's one of them, that's crazy, man. We're all guilty to an extent. We're really all guilty. Hey, those of us who are not guilty right now, we can rejoice when you come. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be like Paul and say, the chains are taken off this morning. We can be joyful. We can be glad. It's not a shame. Don't think it's a shame. The altar is not a place of shame. It's a place of bringing yourself as a living sacrifice to Christ. That's what it is. It's you bringing yourself to Christ to say, Lord, here I am, use me. That's what the altar is. The cross is the place of shame. That's where we deal with our sin. That's where we need to meet Jesus. But the altar is for us, the believers, those who are already the children of God. We just need to make our lives right with Him again, just to be refreshed in His Spirit so we can leave this place this morning and undivided, unyielding, and unafraid. We can walk into this world this week and proclaim the gospel at work, at the marketplace, at our neighbors, to our family, to our children, giving them what is most excellent. Amen.